Welcome to episode 611 of the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm your executive producer, Bob Zarrell. Uh, coming up is uh, professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Uh, before we get to the show, though, I want to tell you to go to our social media pages, Facebook, X, Instagram, our handle is CriticsPod, or the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. Please like us there. Subscribe there. Uh, also, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, all your podcatchers, please rate and review the show, subscribe to the show, and we will read your reviews on the air, YouTube, uh, the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast, or I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. Uh, subscribe to that as well. Click on the, the bell to be notified when a new episode drops. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to support the podcast. And then our T public link is over at IHateCritics.net. All right. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I am professional film critic Sean Patrick. With me is Jeff. Howdy. Jeff, where can people find your stuff? Uh, JeffLaster.com, where my links live. Um, if you follow my Instagram, which is Jeff Lasseter Pop Cult, you can get links there as well. Um, I was just informed today that uh, my T Public, which has a lot of my stuff, is unsearchable, and that's because T Public has their stupid tiered system now where only giant uh accounts like how did this get made who bring them thousands of dollars every month um are searchable now Hmm. so so if you want a t-shirt with my shit on it you got to go to my uh jefflaster.com that's where my links live so all right that's uh that's really shitty yeah it's it's uh, my friend ordered a couple t-shirts for me but he had to go through my website because he said he went to t public searched my name you used to be able to find stuff. Um, and now that they have their apprentice versus artisan, which I could do it literally an entire show about uh, how crappy that's been. Um, now that they have that, that they only promote some of the bigger accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I went uh, one year, a couple years ago in December was my biggest year. At biggest month year, I made like six hundred bucks. Last December, I made thirty two dollars. Oh, that's how that's how much they they've stopped promoting people. So, oh, no, maybe we did rip off. How did this get made? We'll do show specific T shirts every week. We can <laughs> design and sell. Well, maybe we have to volume. get the we have to, we have to get the. Uh, we have to be famous and start a podcast first because that's how they, <laughs> they get theirs. So, uh, I'm, uh, at geeks.media horror.media. I've got, uh, next week's movie is all, one of next week's movies is already done. Ordinary angels with Hillary Swank. We'll talk about next week. But my, my review of that is already up. Uh, so you can find that there at podcast, Sean on Twitter. I don't call it the other thing, uh, because I hate that guy. Uh, so there's, there's that. Uh, did you follow any movie news this week? Uh, very little. This is a really, really busy week for me. So, 
I I didn't follow much other than you know any anything. I was consuming anything Madam Web related because oh, God. It's, it's my favorite. It's my favorite topic of the moment is anything to do with Madam Web. Um, I did fall down the rabbit hole of um, the most unhinged things that Clover <laughs> Johnson has said during the uh, press tour. You and I read the same BuzzFeed article. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, well, mine, mine was the original thread on Twitter. So. <laughs> That I'm sure the BuzzFeed AI listicle came from. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it's impossible because of her tone. It's impossible to tell when she's taking the piss and when she's being like honest. So it's really kind of I find her to be inscrutable, honestly, because like because it happens even during the movie where you can't tell. Uh, if she if she's genuine being genuine in character or if she's just like looked at this shit and goes, I don't want to do this, I'm just gonna fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I kind of feel and I was gonna bring this up during the show, like the part of the show where we talk about Madame Webb, but I feel like Dakota Johnson is like when when your dad is a plumber and your mom is a plumber and you decide you have to go into the family business and you don't really love plumbing, <laughs> but you, it's just what you were, you grew up around. So I guess I'm just going to be a plumber. Um, but I'm going to talk about how little I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm going to, I'm going to just plumb whatever. Okay. I mean, so. I've seen her be very, very good in movies. Cha-Cha Real Smooth, our friend, uh, she is incredible in both of those films. Like, and the Peter Butter Falcon as well. She is exceptional in that movie. She's been, she, she's a good actress. I truly believe that. And I, I don't think that Madam Webb or uh, and Fifty Shades of Grey or any kind of referendum on, on her acting ability. I don't, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't mean she's a bad actor. Mm-hmm. I'm saying she does. She never seems like she has the passion for it. Mm. You know, you can see some people like, like Jennifer Lawrence, you can tell she loves what she does mm. and she still talks about it in kind of a reverential way, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, it's what she loves and what she know she's good at and wants to do and i never i always get the impression and maybe it's just her personality that she's just kind of doing this and she's good at it but she doesn't it's you know she doesn't know what she wants to do and well she'll do acting that's just kind of i i i like her i don't dislike her that's i don't want to come come across as i dislike her i just think that it doesn't seem like her heart is in it most of the time. <laughs> you she's, think she's going to be like uh, Jessica Alba and like a home improvement show in 10 years? <laughs> maybe. I mean, well, I, but I see, I don't, I don't think she's, I think she loves being an entertainer hmm. more than she loves acting. Cause she's very good at like when she does an interview, she's very entertaining and she's very kind of, you know, like that whole, the one with Ellen, where she was like, Ellen, you were at my birthday party. <laughs> you know, I think she's very good at that. And I could see her being like a professional, like, um, like a guest on, you know how Mark Marin would, he, when he lived in New York, would just be the extra person that they just called, hey, we, we had a cancellation for tonight's uh, 
you know, whatever show Conan <laughs> or whatever, can you come and be on it? I think she, that was where, where she would excel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And I feel like she would be like the best friend to have because she's always, it's, I guess she's always up for anything. You know, you know, I mean, you can see that in in her work. I mean, like yeah, that's what I mean. She gives you know, it her all every time. Would you like to go to the opera, the Peanut Butter Falcon, or would you like to, I don't know, go to a sleazy dive bar, Madam Web, or <laughs> you know, I don't know, let's go to the country and just kind of ride around and look at antiques, you know, that kind of stuff. She'd just be the kind of person who'd be somebody you'd want to do stuff with, but not necessarily. She wouldn't be into all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but she would do it she's kind of a in terms of a personality she's kind of like a gen xer out of time because it's like she refuses to own anything she refuses to take any and she'll just dig she'll just ignore stuff that she doesn't want to talk about yeah like she's got that kind of a she's got that kind of gen x vibe in a way where it's like we're not going to accept something unless we know everybody else likes it and if nobody likes it we don't like it either yeah and see well <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And we do have one uh, one up on her. The both of us have one up on her. What's we that? We have seen Madam Web. <laughs> yes, she's not seen this movie. She doesn't know what a spider person is. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. She she's hilarious. She's she's very very funny and it, it, but again, sometimes it's Sometimes it's like a genuine confusion on her part, and sometimes it's just like I'm not interested in this. I'm just going to take the piss. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Uh, like what Spider Man Goblet of Fire or something. Is what you thought one of Tom Holland's <laughs> movies was? <laughs> like oh. I think she's making a genuine joke there. I don't think she actually thought that. Yeah, I, I think she's she's probably smart enough to get pop culture, but she doesn't care about ninety percent of it. Yeah, like but she was asked. Probably... Who, she was asked who her favorite female Marvel superhero is, and then she said she didn't know any. But then she also said in another interview that she had actually spoken to Elizabeth Olsen about you know, Scarlet Witch and what's it like to be in a superhero movie. And it's like, well, which one is it? Yeah, <laughs> you never know. You don't know which answer it is. And you know, funny enough, that's kind of how her performance in Madam Web goes. <laughs> Sometimes she's sometimes she's being genuine, and sometimes she's just whatever. Yeah, I guess I'm gonna get stabbed in the stomach or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we're talking about Madam Web now. Yeah. Um, so Madam Web uh, stars Dakota Johnson as Cassie Webb. Her mom died in the Amazon, uh, searching for a specific fire spider that supposedly had healing qualities. Uh, she survived uh being her mother being shot while she was still in the womb uh she was saved by a tribe of spider people with spider powers i think anyway she they send her back to new york somehow and uh instead of keeping her in the amazon uh they send her back to new york and she goes into the foster system and ends up becoming a better ems person who yeah, she's got that typical movie thing where she doesn't understand how emotions work. Like a little child hands her a drawing mm -hmm. and she's like, what the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> yeah, it's just so bizarre. 
So it's like, I mean, it, that is such a screenwriter thing to write. And you can just tell that she's like, I know how a person acts in this situation, but fine. If that's what you want me to say, I'll fucking do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the butt plug line from Fifty Shades all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's just, she's playing like a lot of that screenwriter shit where she's got to get through this bullshit exposition about, you know, establishing who this person is this character is and uh she does that and then she (laughs) but occasionally like there's moments here where she does come alive like i think there's a moment late in the movie just jump ahead a little bit she finds out what her mom's true intentions were and i think dakota johnson genuinely invested in that moment Mm -hmm. to the point where it almost felt like a good scene which is so rare because every scene in this movie is so terrible I mean, Jeff, this movie is so bad. The opening, the opening scenes with her mom uh, as a character uh, are just brutal. Uh, and then anytime they go into voiceover, they have to repeat the same thing over and over again about, about the motivation of the bad guy. That guy states his motivation at least six times in the first two acts, just to make sure you don't lose track of what he's doing and why. <laughs> Uh, we've got to have this fucking voiceover come in and explain it again that he needs to kill these three teenage girls before they become spider women who will kill him in the future. <laughs> uh, okay. There are, there's a genuinely good movie in, in, in here somewhere. Ooh, I didn't, I couldn't find it. <laughs> and I don't know if, um, for one thing, and I, I don't care, I'm going to spoil it because nobody's going to watch this movie anyway, apparently. Um, oh, it's dead in the for, water. Oh, for yeah. For one thing, the whole Peter Parker birth subplot should be completely excised in every, uh, like, every moment of it should be <laughs> excised. Um, what, are you just trying to get rid of Emma Roberts? What? Well, yeah, that too, because, (laughs) okay, Emma Roberts is a great personality. She is a very specific actor in that certain things she does amazingly well, like being a bitch in Scream Queens or American Horror Story. Mm -hmm. She is very good at, quote unquote, TV acting. And I'm not talking like prestige only murders in the building kind of TV acting talking about, Oh, it's just, you know, it'll get me by week to week kind of TV acting. She's a lovely person from what, from what I understand. I've heard different, but that's okay. Well, I, I'm trying to be generous here. Um, <laughs> I've heard she's a real piece of shit. So uh, she was good in scream Four. she is just not an actress. This is, painful to watch <laughs> she is in this movie she is absolutely the worst thing in this movie and that is really saying something because dakota johnson is sometimes just giving that like like they're just filming a photograph of dakota johnson <laughs> but emma roberts is the nadir of acting in this movie i i despise emma roberts but i'm going to say 
not necessarily in her defense. The the character is desperately unwritten and was thrown in basically as a sop to the fans. Like, look, if you stick around long enough, Peter Parker's going to show up. Okay. Like, wait, we, we, we want to do three of these. Okay. Just, we're going to give mm-hmm. you, we're going to give you a Spider-Man. Just please, please see the movie. Please stick around. Please come back. I think, but you know what? I think she got a desperately underwritten role and didn't and she's not an actress who who can adapt and do something with that. If Ben Parker had not been um Cassie's partner, you wouldn't have even thought about that. But they were so desperate to tie it into the Spider-Man mythos by having you know some universe uh, where Ben Parker was a paramedic. Um, I don't understand Adam Scott, I guess, um, mm-hmm. in this movie. Because Adam Scott is, he's a very specific actor, too. You know, he's very good at some things and very not good at others. Um, like his Hellraiser movie was perfect. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not even really being facetious. I thought he was actually really good in this, but in that, um, there's just him trying to play the guy who's eventually going to be the catalyst for Peter Parker and them making little references to it. Yeah. It just seemed, it was completely 100% gratuitous and did not fit. And it could have just been her love interest. You know, I mean, if, if, if they had established that this was a different universe than the 616 universe that well, they, most of the Marvel <laughs> takes place in, but they didn't, you know, you're, you're led to believe that that's Tom Holland being born. You but, are, but at the same time, they, and it's, I know it's not, it's not in the movie. You're right. We like in the movie, you're led, you're absolutely led to believe that, uh, that, 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 that could be Tom Holland. Uh, being born, except if you know the Marvel Universe, you know he was born in 2001, not 2003. But not to be overly pedantic, but uh, the uh, uh, the they they did say in media appearances that this is a different universe, which you got to put that in the movie if that's what your intention is. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, you're not. We, I drew the same conclusion for part of the movie, assuming that I didn't know that until after the movie that I read that they intended this to not even be part of the Morbius Craven <laughs> nonsense Venom universe. Like it's not even supposed to be part of that. It's supposed to be its own thing, uh, <laughs> which is ridiculous in and of itself. But it's all just such a bad idea. It's just all such a bad idea. I mean, the whole Madam Web thing, first of all, takes so much time to explain. Uh, unless, unless you're like super into the comic books, it takes forever to explain how this Madam Web thing works. Uh, she's like an old lady in the comics who, I don't know if the spider women are real things or not. Uh, like they, again, we don't, we get to see them in their outfits, but only in these like flash forwards, to a future that may not exist because that guy's already dead. So who knows? I mean, are they still mm-hmm. going to be spider? It's such a dumb idea. The script is so bad. It is like, it is such the, it is, did they even have a completed script when they made this? Or did they just fucking riff this thing? Like that's the level of bad that this script is. 
I don't think there's a good movie to be made from a script this poorly constructed because they've got like literally when she goes to Dakota Johnson's when Cassie Webb goes to Brazil, it's at the start of the third act. And it Probably. feels like the movie is starting again. <laughs> like what I'm just sitting there going, how are we starting the movie again? What have we been doing all this time? Yeah, I oh my god. So yeah, it's Peru. I, I wherever but, it is, I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um that should have been halfway through the movie, not three quarters of the way through the movie. And that should have been the story, you know. I just having I I, I you're right. I, there's nothing redeemable about this. It's it's just it's so bad <laughs> she just she's in a different movie than half the people and and i don't mean just her performance although mm. that that too yeah um you know she's th- there should be an origin story for the you know the girls on the on their own you know just the just the fact that it's her origin story plus their origin story plus a villain's origin story <laughs> plus you know all of the stuff that you're just like none of it is cohesive right um and then surprise she's an old blind woman in a wheelchair at the end and <laughs> it- yeah, I think the I think they ran into an issue because again, I think they started this without a script and they're just riffing it. Uh, they realized quickly that since they didn't give her any superpowers, that uh, aside from being able to see a minute into the future, <laughs> which is, she, they gave her the she's got the dumbest superpower. First mm-hmm. of all, just the absolute dumbest superpower. It's completely useless. Almost, uh, it, it takes a lot of like. Uh, complicated, you know, <laughs> complicated nonsense to make this feel like an actual like superhero thing that she's doing at the end. The Pepsi sign does more work than she does. Oh my <laughs> the Pepsi God. sign and the fireworks are doing more superheroic work than she is. She's Holy just anticipating placement. where the Pepsi sign is going to be at any given moment, which, God help me, that product placement for fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh, just, I mean, the, like, little things got me with the fact that, you know, he, he's on top of their car about to kill them and she bursts through a sign. Yeah. What, what he, 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 like, had to jump up to be hit by the ambulance. Yes, yeah. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Come Meanwhile, on. she's barreling through a sign. She doesn't know if she's actually going to land on her friend's car and kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's literally no way to know unless she's using her Spidey sense. But she doesn't have Spidey sense because this is a whole different universe. And I'm just like, come on. <laughs> Well, you know, Jeff, with great responsibility, there comes a good deal of power. (laughs) The power will come with great responsibility. (laughs) Whatever the fuck they It's like, I wish that were true, because I wish I had some of the power that came with great responsibility, because I have a ton of responsibilities (laughs) and no fucking power. (laughs) 
I'm told, like, I'm told that, that that the director is is a good director. I'm told that the S.J. Clarkson is is a very good TV director, and I do believe that. Like, I do believe because there, are, like I said, there are moments, and and I think there are are film technique moments that that yes, show that, yes. that she knows what she's doing. I think she got noted to death. I think she got a she got handed mm-hmm. a script. That is an absolute dog. Sh- this absolute dog shit, and then told, "Hey, by the way, the ending needs to include to include a giant fucking Pepsi sign." And she's like, "What the <laughs> fuck am I supposed to do with that?" So I'm gonna say this: I I, I saw One Love, and then I saw this. Yeah. Same within you know back to back at the theater on Monday, and I will say, going into this, the first few minutes of it. I thought there were some really cool cutting techniques that she used. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they're going to the the bridge accident that she's, you know, going to finally like see her her ability to see into the future for right. the first time. Mm-hmm. When when they arrive and they cut to her getting out, and it's just those quick music video cuts. I was like, oh. That's actually kind of, you know, it's kind of well done. And they do it a few other times throughout the movie, but yeah. towards the end of the movie, when it would serve itself, when it would serve to have better cuts and faster jumps and things like that, it's just kind of done by rote. Yeah. So, <laughs> also, there's a fucking boom mic right in the right next to her face. In one of the shots, I'm just like, is that the, that's the fucking boom mic. And it's literally right against her face. <laughs> I think at that point that she, she and Dakota are like, let's just get this over with, you know, let's just finish this. Uh, yeah. There's a boom mic. Just cut print. Let's just go. Like <laughs> Sony's on the phone you know, again. Like, they want to get I another can... Pepsi product placement in here. Let's just get this over with. Yeah, the only thing that could have made it more obvious was that if it's a, if the boom mic said Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And do not get me started on the the trope, uh, the tropes. I mean, the trio of characters that are the Spider Women, completely useless. Just completely. I mean, you just not. What was the point of even having them there? They did nothing. They contribute nothing to the story. We learn little about them. And Sydney Sweeney's just basically there to be in a fetish outfit. Is am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, the little like Britney anime girl. <laughs> Good God. And the and what oh they take her they take her glasses off and she becomes super pretty. As if she wasn't Sydney Sweeney with glasses before. <laughs> The one part of this movie that I really enjoyed hmm. was they go to the ho- the little motel, the yeah. hotel motel, and they had the same headboard that I have on my bed, which is a <laughs> mid-century modern headboard. And I noticed that. I was like, oh, hey, they have a lane headboard, too. That's awesome. Let's go for about $1,000 a piece. Hmm. That's, what, that's how into the movie I was. I sat there and I could not... The whole scene where they're in the motel, I was trying to remember the name of the headboard. Yeah. That's I, how I was, little, yeah. 
I was sharing with uh, with Amy and MJ on the other podcast a thing that uh, myself and a fellow cr- film critic uh, Linda Cook uh, we we used to do a lot of screenings together. I uh, and one of the things that we would do was if we didn't like the movie, it's just the two of us, two of us in the theater at the time, she would point out a lamp. <laughs> That's a really mm-hmm. nice lamp. <laughs> yeah. And we'd just talk for a few minutes about the lamp because the movie wasn't any good. By by that time in the mo- in the movie, I was looking at the furniture. <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah. I was looking around to see if they had the other bedroom set parts that I have. <laughs> that leads me to another thing about this movie that is hilarious: is the multiple commercials for CPR. The movie stops dead mm. to do two commercials for CPR. Yep. It was like it was like Chekhov's CPR. <laughs> we showed the CPR in the second act. It's got to come back in the third. Mhm. <laughs> so stupid. Oh my god, it's so bad. It looks like it looks like an instructional video during the during the hotel scene where she's teaching them CPR. Because apparently the super the super villain who has the power to touch you and like constrict your entire body, his one weakness is that CPR could stop his power. I mean, oh my god. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil my review for um one love a little bit. I didn't think it was great, but then I went and saw this and I was like, wow. <laughs> Wow, that is the best biopic I've ever seen in my entire life compared to whatever this is. Honestly, this if you want like, to enjoy a movie, watch Madam Web first and then watch another movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every other movie will look a lot better. Well, this was like this was like they took a season-long CW show. Ooh, yeah. And compressed it into 2 hours. Um I really, I really, I kept thinking that whenever the girls were on screen, mm-hmm. you know, and it, they made it look like a, a, a late nineties, early two thousands um, music video where there was the front girl and the two backup dancers and Sydney Sweeney was always the front girl, you well, know, because she was the white. Wasn't there, wasn't there like a, a superhero team on the CW, like birds of prey oh, or something? Th- yeah, tons exactly of them. Exactly been... like them in costume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like an Arrowverse show. <laughs> oh my god, it is. It so is. It would be much it'd be much better off that way. <laughs> yeah, they re- it really would. And I always say that. I always say, you know, I would like to see this as a TV show. This I would have watched it but could have been a decent CW show. Yeah. And, absolutely. and that's really the tier that Matt, to me anyway, I don't know if there's a bunch of Madam web, you know, fanboys and girls out there, but this is, this is like strictly Arrowverse kind of stuff to me. Yeah. And I should, it probably would have been a wonderful TV show. With the kind of long-term storytelling that they're trying to do, they needed that. They would need a long form. They would need, you know, like a six-episode Marvel TV show style thing to to pack in all the things that they want to do. Taking this character from being, 
you know, birthed to being, you know, a blind woman in a wheelchair. I mean, you could see where, like, the the mid-season climax of this show <laughs> would be them getting their powers. Yeah. You know, they... Like you get the first episode is 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 Cassie Webb and her kind of thing. The first couple episodes since she's the star are are her journey from you know being a paramedic to finding out she was actually um, born in a pool of water in the Amazon, which doesn't. It seems like that's something you find out and then stuff starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas she always knew that her mom was in the Amazon and she was a photographer and that that's kind of the stuff that builds over a few episodes as opposed to (laughs) an exposition dump in the third act. Right. Like she's 30 years old. She's not been curious for a moment about, about the Amazon or about, about going to where her mom died. Yeah. Doesn't she have any relatives? (laughs) Don't think so. And first of all, in 1973, I I wasn't aware, and most people were not aware of Miss Thania Gravis, or however you say it, Maya Thania Gravis, mm-hmm. until the mid to late 80s as a thing. And I don't think there were genetic markers that you could find out in 1973 about it. I seriously doubt that. Yeah, but this movie doesn't really care for that. Like, Toxic wasn't even out in 2003. Let's be real here. Yeah, it was You're released a as a single fan. in January 2004. It- it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt hearing Toxic in this mm-hmm. movie because they say it's 2003. The, the song hadn't come out yet. There's also a Nintendo Switch in this movie, and I'm sorry, that didn't come out till 2005. I just got to yeah. call that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in America, it didn't. It was out in Japan. Maybe he was just an influencer before influencers were a thing. <laughs> I do hate needle drops, though, that are out of the time. Like, that... That can take me out of a movie because I'm pretty familiar with the charts. I've been in radio for over you know, nearly 30 years now, so I'm pretty familiar with this stuff. So when I hear a song, when I, when I know a movie is set in a particular year and then I hear a song in the movie that is not from that year, is after that year, I'm like, that fuck this movie. <laughs> well, and I noticed, too, this, this movie was 2003. What was, yeah. and, and clearly it was summer. Although she was watching a Christmas Carol, so you, you're led to believe that it was December, even though in yeah, New York that is weird. That makes um, no sense at all. I did have I, when I lived in New York. There was one day, the Sunday before Christmas, one year where I was walking around Midtown on a Sunday afternoon in shorts and a T-shirt because it was 83 degrees. But that's not normal. No, um, that's something. And you I would noticed, note. <laughs> if you're yeah. making a movie, you would note why it's warm in December. But all most of them, the needs as or you do, um, are '90s, like mid '90s songs. So are they listening to like the adult contemporary station that's still playing stuff from you know ten years before? Because mm-hmm. you know lots of Breakfast at Tiffany's that was what 1993. Um, Bitch was 1993, I think. It was just a lot of stuff from the. Early in the mid '90s, and I was just—it was kind of throwing me off too. So, I could write that off as just things that would be that would have been a favorite of a young Dakota Johnson, young Cassie Webb. She would have liked those and probably kept listening to those. So I could, I could accept that to a point. 
It's the after that bothers me. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, lo- so many things about this movie bother me. Like, why did she get her powers after she almost died? Like, first of all, you were you were, you were bit by the spider as a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've had these powers all along. Why did it take near death for this to finally come forward? Like, that was really like, which is the origin story? Then is that the origin story, or is the origin story in the, in the Amazon? Like, it's just. And these inconsistent images, like you mentioned, uh, watching uh, the 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 move the the Christmas Carol, like it, it's a disconnected image from from the rest of the movie. It's introducing a new theme that is if she's being haunted mm-hmm. by ghosts, and she's not being haunted by ghosts. She's seeing visions. Also, just his stupid story, the villain's story, makes no fucking sense. If this is a fix, like if he's seeing something in the future that's supposed to happen to him. And that is never not that is never going to happen to him. Then why the fuck did we ever see it? <laughs> then, well, what I'm saying is that sh- that's what this should have built up to. Yeah, that should have been the climax. Is him fighting these three girls, and she's guiding them, you know, like yeah. mentally or whatever from her wheelchair. Yeah, mm-hmm. and which is I'm sorry, that is one of the least exciting things. Is <laughs> There's a reason why there isn't a Charles Xavier movie in the X-Men's universe. Exactly. You know, like <laughs> X-Men Origins. Um, I just, it was, I guess you, you, how is he seeing something so far away in the future when it's kind of established that they can only see a few minutes in the future? You know what I mean? It's, it doesn't mm. make any sense whatsoever. And yep. he he takes <laughs> that woman home, that mm-hmm. Lolita Davidovich knockoff home from the <laughs> opera, and he's explaining how he keeps seeing the same thing. And she's like, "All right, this is creepy." And she's going to get something out of her purse. I don't know if it was a gun or what, but it was just I, he just explained it poorly. Mm-hmm. It was something that should have happened in this movie. He should have seen his future. And then that future comes to pass as opposed to, you know, 20 years in the, in, in the past from when he sees his vision, it's mm-hmm. because now, okay. So these are supposed to be like the spider women or the spider verse or whatever. And because they, because he already dies, what are they going to become this thing or. Right. That's not? a question I had too, but also how, when, when or do they get spider powers? Do they? I, I don't it, know. It, I was, <laughs> I was, I was expecting it to be on the train. I I ran to the bathroom really fast because I was like, okay, this is where they're all going to get their powers. There's going to be like a train wreck or something. And no, they just get off the train. I was conf- Yeah, I thought I thought they were just going to go with her to to. Uh, to Peru. I thought they'd go to the Amazon and yeah, why didn't they all get their powers at the same time? That would make complete sense in that moment to give them all powers and then go up against this guy who has his powers already and has mastered them. And it's kind of a still a fair fight because he's mastered his powers and they're still learning theirs. And then you injure Cassie and knock her out, but then she's telepathic and blind and she can guide them with her mind through this big colossal fight at the end. That is just the most logical way to do this. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, we got to go to Peru. We got to figure this out. Yeah. You're going with me. And then they all get bitten by spiders. 
Well, or, or they all like get they different are, powers. They, they, they are offered the chance to, to take on powers to fight on behalf of this, you know, group from Brazil that doesn't want this guy to, you know, kill people in America. But they're not going to yeah. go to America and stop him themselves. They'll give powers to these three girls and, and Cassie and send them back to fight him. <laughs> it's, it's, <sighs> it's equally convoluted in a different way, but it's still it's far more logical than what they came up with. Again, a, an eight-episode series on <laughs> Disney Plus or the CW or whatever, mm-hmm. where each each girl gets their own episode leading up to meeting on the train, and he then that's where he attacks in the first time. And yeah, Madden, and each girl's or, episode is basically a subplot of what's happening to Cassie. Yeah, and Cassie's like, hey. I'm going to the Amazon to figure out what was going on with my mom. And I, uh, and I can see in the future that you guys are going to go with me. So you should just go with me. And they're just like, well, we don't have any responsibilities. Why don't we go? So they go and then they all get their powers. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you know, that's when he sees his vision, mm-hmm. which should open the entire thing. His vision comes true. In the last episode. Simple. Logical. It makes perfect sense. Why not do it that way? They didn't do it that way. They made a terrible movie. <laughs> They've doomed all of these people to, the, to this movie and having this movie on their resume. And, you know, most of them will be fine uh, from this. They'll all bounce back. Even I think S.J. Clarkson will have an opportunity to bounce back. I think there's still a, still a future for them as a director. This is just a, a severe bump in the road for her. Uh, Dakota Johnson's going to bounce back. She doesn't give a fuck <laughs> about any of this shit. She'll make She's another like, hour friend or, or, or cha-cha real smooth and just go on with her life. Uh, Sydney Sweeney, nothing's going to slow her down either. So it's the other two girls who, whose names I can't even remember. Uh, I don't think I think they're headed for, for, for TV careers after this because mm-hmm. they really just got done dirty by this whole thing. <laughs> they were badly mistreated by this movie. They were given nothing to do. They were given no opportunity to make any kind of impression. And uh, it's just it's really unfortunate for them. Yeah, good luck, girls, because <laughs> you were staring down the barrel of a franchise. and Now you're staring down the barrel of I need to find work. <laughs> yeah, I just wish that was the kind of thing that happened to Jared Leto. Uh, if only, but no, he'll <laughs> be fine. Unfortunately, <laughs> nothing can stop that man. He is—he's uh, <laughs> such a Renaissance man. <laughs> All right, uh, Bob Marley. One Love is a new biopic uh, starring Kingsley Benadire as the legendary. Uh, Bob Marley, uh, taking us through a portion of his life that was incredibly turbulent, but also incredibly creative. Uh, during the time when he created uh, one of his uh, most incredible records, uh, Exodus, but also during a time when you know he just narrowly survived an assassination attempt. His wife was shot in the head and nearly died. Uh, her, her, the bullet was stopped by one of her braids, which is one of the is a real detail about her mm-hmm. actual near death experience. Uh, then we, you know, we go on tour with him and we follow, you know, sort of the perils of his uh, rising fame and we see the kind of the seeds of what will in the end, uh, take him down. 
uh, one of the things that, that one of the challenges of this movie is that is Jamaican accents. Uh, Jamaican accents. I, I, I blame us. I blame America for this. We did this. We did this. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've made the Jamaican accent into such a joke over the years it, via parodies, via, you know, SNL or In Living Color or Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo, wherever there's been a Jamaican accent, it's, it's our fault that we've made it into what it is. So it can be difficult to try and authentically portray uh, a Jamaican accent. And I, I thought as oftentimes as this is kind of incomprehensible to to American ears, I thought it felt authentic at the very least. It felt authentic. It didn't feel like these were people who were putting on a joke Jamaican accent like Adrian Brody on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Jack Black, and I know what you did last summer. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I thought that I thought at the very least that that was a challenge that this movie came up to, and I thought it met it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I really do wish at some point that I could have watched this with subtitles because getting into it took a little bit for me. Yeah, and that's just you know it's not a read on the movie or Jamaica or. No, the pa- I mean, authentically, the the Jamaican patois, especially in the Rastafari, it is is somewhat uh, almost a, a language all of its own that you kind of need to. Some people will need interpreted to them. Yeah, and, and and it's so it's spoken so quickly and whatever. It took me a little bit to get into it, but once you you hit the rhythm of it, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it helps that you have such a great actor in in Kingsley Benadire. This guy is incredible. There's nothing he can't do. He played uh, Malcolm X in One Night in Miami. He played one of the Kens in Barbie, and now here he is playing Bob Marley. And I think he just he's such a chameleon. He he's so capable of bouncing from role to role. And the 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 authentic way that he brings Bob Marley to, to life really impresses me. I, I was really moved by the way he was able to capture. Bob Marley's movements. He's able to capture his uh, musical style, the way he speaks in a very authentic way where it never felt like a parody. Cause I don't think he is actually, I don't think he has an actual Jamaican accent. So he really put some work in to mm-hmm. make this sound as authentic as it does. Um, he's going to be the new Chadwick Boseman. And I don't say that like as, as a flip thing, mm-hmm. but you know how Chadwick Boseman played all the famous black men from history before he you know, got sick and passed away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kingsley <laughs> Benadire has played Bob Marley, Malcolm X, Barack Obama. And I just have a feeling that there's more, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, more of those in his future. Uh, he was, he was really excellent. And he really sold um, the passion that Bob Marley had for his music. Mm-hmm. And, I I really I love I loved the performances and the the bond between him and Lashana Lynch mm-hmm. as Rita Marley. Um that's what that's what I liked about the movie. Um it felt to me a little standard biopic. 
That is the unfortunate element that we've got to get into is that aspect of it. Uh, there, there is a conventionality and, and also just a, a sort of a, I don't want to, what do I want to, how do I want to put this? Ziggy Marley, uh, Bob's son was on, was on set every day, according to his own mm-hmm. uh, testimony about this movie. He was an executive producer. And when that happens, there is a certain halo effect to it, a certain sanitization that sort of takes place where the rougher edges are going to be kind of rubbed away in favor of uh, more of a hagiography. And I do think this movie suffers from that a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I struggle when I'm watching almost any biopic anymore with the, the reverential treatment that almost everybody gets mm-hmm. if they are the subject of a biopic. Um, I don't think Bob Marley is someone you could give the rocket man treatment to. Right. Um, unless, you know, you took his stories that are in his songs and turned those into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a straight biography, there are things that like, they can be, they can be the best performances, but you are, you are bound by things that actually happened. And, um, and you could, I, I guess you can't do it with everybody. Like you can do it with Elton John. Um, you know, that's, that's one of my problems with Bohemian Rhapsody. No, oh, what a piece of that, crap. <laughs> I know you love that movie, <laughs> but I feel like that could have been much more over the top for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you can do that with this movie. I don't think you could go over the top with it for the simple fact that, you know, Ziggy Marley being an executive producer and, revering his father the way he does and did you want it to be that uh, as authentic as possible in his eyes yeah um there's like one one element of this that i thought really stood out is that the movie walks up to the line multiple times of talking about bob marley as a womanizer as as somebody who wandered mm-hmm. outside of his marriage which he did and rita marley too uh, and Rita Marley as well, yeah. But uh, the movie walks up to that line, but then seems to refuse to actually go there. Uh, in certain points, like they'll introduce a woman in the background as clearly supposed to be in the movie, but then she's not ever introduced, and that happens in mm-hmm. I think at least two different scenes. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Uh, and and it it seemed clear to me that there was somebody going, you know what? Let's not let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My father would one never scene do where that. you know mom and dad are going to fight and confront each other, but we don't need the we don't need to see, actually see dad cheat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, he's such he is, and I, I and well, fully deserved. I was in my twenties. I went through my Bob Marley phase, where I listened to nothing but Bob Marley and reggae and whatever. Mm-hmm. But you you he's revered so much by you know by his family and by Jamaica in general that to show any warts would seem like it was a disservice to him the man i that's that's kind of how i took this you know how he's perfect 
mm-hmm. nothing he ever did was wrong. It was all about how wonderful he was and he was going to have this peace concert. And that, that to me, the peace concert is the, the, is the climax of the film. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the natural climax. And the fact that they kind of subverted that and that happened within the first half hour of the movie. And, you know, then he went, then you went on and to the other parts. I did like that. I liked that. It wasn't the natural climax, like um, live aid for Freddie Mercury. You know, that Mm -hmm. wasn't, that was a natural climax and they just played it straight. The peace concert was the natural climax for this movie. And they got it over with within the first 20 minutes. So, you know, okay, where do we go from there? Well, then we go to Exodus, you know, arguably his best and one of the best records ever. Yeah. And that, that was a, those are a wonderful series of scenes that are incredibly creative and, and going into the, you know, the notion of how to write a song and where inspiration comes from and uh, just the unique nature of, you know, uh, of an artist who's you know struggling to find something to sing about that isn't you know that it that that's important but also is true to who he is and yeah you know, the the dual the duality of Bob Marley was wanting to say something about you know a, about what's happening in Jamaica and the people who are dying and trying to save people's lives and then there's the other one who's this romantic poet who can you know write um, incredible love songs as wife as Lashana Lynch points out in a great scene, like don't lose that part of yourself that, that can be you know, one of the most romantic people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think this is a very good movie. I think it's in the, on the upper tier of, uh, of, of musical biopics, I think, but that's an incredibly low bar to be clear because <laughs> there's like, there's like rocket man and then, everything else for me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe love and mercy, you know, love and mercy does, does some subversion with the, you know, with using uh, Paul Dano and John Cusack to play two different parts of Brian Wilson's life. I thought that movie did, mm-hmm. did exceed expectations, but for the most part, these, there's just this, they're just these movies that are just about, you know, building a legend, building a brand that can be sold after they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, there's Bohemian Rhapsody, which is just a lot of bullshit. That's just the the rest of Queen trying to pretend that Freddie wasn't the driving force. Oh no, no, we were equals. We were all equals. It wasn't just uh, Freddie. Yeah, and it sure was guys. so straightwashed too. <laughs> God, it was. Wasn't it? it was so bad. I mean, Freddie Mercury. Come on. <laughs> he longed for a woman, Jeff. Is what, he, what the movie was really about. He was a card-carrying friend of Dorothy. <laughs> Sorry, he he dressed like all the guys in the East Village in uh, the West Village in New York in the seventies and eighties. He looked well, like a village person. You know, it was like he was Jeff, not. Oh, what are you God. talking about? He longed for to 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 be with a woman that he longed for through a window. He could see her every night and think of her as his one true love. And the rest of the band was at home with their families, never sleeping with groupies. <laughs> God. <laughs> what a piece of shit. And then Mike Myers is in it, so of course it's crap. <laughs> uh, all, right. all, because, all because of Wayne's World. 
he is there. Don't even be started. Um, <laughs> our classic <laughs> this week is Amelie. Why? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because it was back in theater in like a limited, yeah. limited engagement. It was. And uh, Amelie is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Audrey Tautou is the star as Amelie, this magical imaginary person who has this, She's very shuttered and shy and doesn't know how to talk to people. And then she discovers one good deed that leads her to want to do more good deeds. And then there's the, the very unique and imaginative fallout to her various different good deeds, all leading her to meeting uh, a fellow weirdo in Matthew Kasovitz, who his, his weird thing uh, is, is finding people's photographs from photo booths and, and putting them in a scrapbook and kind of uh, just keeping them. For, for whatever reason. That's just his thing. Uh, and the way they use that device is so wonderful and magical and weird and funny, and it just plays perfectly into these two perfectly weird characters. This is Jean-Pierre Junet directing this, and, and just the way he captures Audrey Tautou and those big eyes, those big, beautiful eyes, it's just, it, right off the bat, the first moment you see her, it's just pure magic, and and just everything from that point, like the way he goes through her backstory, just this magically magical thing of of creating this fairy tale that is incredibly sad and, and terrible, but at the same time delivered in this um, in this lyrical, poetic, beautiful series of scenes that culminates with her mom getting crushed by somebody who's killing themselves. <laughs> like, only Junet. Only to make do this. I adore this film. I've adored this film for 22 years now, and it doesn't. It just doesn't age. It doesn't change. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't uh, come down in my mind. There's just nothing about it I would change. I, I adore this film. It's an absolutely beautiful movie. Like literally everything about it. Uh, my my favorite thing about it, aside from Audrey Tattoo, is how he tells stories and vignettes with clips from other old movies and old film uh, bits and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to have the film of Stalin telling the story of, of <laughs> Amelie. <laughs> it's literally Joseph Stalin dictating something and it's, <laughs> she sees it as her life story. I'm just, I was, just floored how much I love that. Um, I have not seen this movie before. Really? I have never seen it. Um, So that's why I picked it as our classic. I was just the, the use of color Mm. and how, when she's doing a good deed, it's like green. There's more green and everything is just like every, all the details in it are perfect. Like, I read that they went to the train station when they were shooting and they picked up all the trash that Janae and everybody in the cast and crew picked up all the trash so that it would blend perfectly with the rest of the movie that was, you know, so perfectly appointed. Mm, Um, Wow. Yeah. They, the use of color, like there's one scene where you can't tell if her hair is actually dyed green Mm. or if it's the lighting. Mm Mm-hmm. Or she's so excited, and it's she gets ex- more. The more excited she gets, the like the greener her hair gets. <laughs> um, she's like the the original manic pixie dream girl. 
(laughs) You know what I mean? Like she is the blueprint for that for me now. Um, (laughs) Breaking her, her breaking the fourth wall and like looking at the camera, like Mm -hmm. with that impish grin that she has. Yeah. It's just so endearing. And it's just everything about it is beautiful. All these wonderful little things, like when she beca- she she becomes the Avenger for for this guy who works at a at a little grocery shop. <laughs> his boss is being mm-hmm. abusive to him, so she gets a copy of the boss's key and sneaks into his apartment and just starts fucking around. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's just this little thing. It has no payoff. It doesn't change anything. But she feels better about herself having just switched his doorknob around and changed all his light bulbs, <laughs> shrank his shoes. <laughs> Oh, such a great, it's just a little touch. It's just this little comic beat that, that Jude follows. And just, it, it's wonderful. And he does that multiple times throughout the movie. Like there's this bit with his, with her dad's gnome where she just sends it off with this friend of hers. Who's a, uh, uh, on a plane, uh, <laughs> yeah. just sends it off and they, they take pictures of it, of the gnome in various different locations around the world and send it back to her dad as a way to kind of remind him about how he wanted to travel when he was younger. It's just lovely. It's yeah. just lovely shit. And then the whole plot with her and Kasovitz, just kind of the, the, the way that she tries to, this is her form of romance. <laughs> <laughs> it's so so bizarre because it doesn't involve speaking to each other. It's so fantastic. Uh, right up until the end where she's just, the, the kissing scene is just, ah, breathtaking. Romance. Love it. And and this could have been a silent movie. It could, yeah. It really could have, and it would have worked, you know, just as well with a few interstitial titles and stuff. And just, just looking at it, I... I yeah, Janae is just a, he's a he's a he's a genius. He's an auteur. He's a he's a guy. He's a visionary. Uh, I mean, everything that he's done. This and uh, a very long engagement is another incredible film that everybody needs to see. Uh, uh, just this world-spanning, you know, time-spanning romance that is just absolutely lovely and beautiful and breathtaking. One of the best-looking movies ever made. And then he's made this, and I mean, <laughs> it's. And then, of course, his earlier career where he's just this provocateur who's just kind of terrifying. <laughs> it's just, it's, he's the most fascinating director uh, of all time. And I just, I, this movie is just so, so unique and, and yet so him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I, he has a thing for getting just the right face. Hmm. He does um, love faces. You know, just the right face at the right time. I can't, I, it's escaping me, but I looked him up because I thought he had such an interesting face. The, um, the grocery assistant, uh, uh, Kareem, mm-hmm. um, he, he's got the most expressive eyes. He's from Morocco and he, You'll notice his hand is, they don't show it very often, but his hand is always in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And that's just a thing that the actor had to do because he, his, his arm was injured in a train accident. Ah, okay. And all of his, um, every picture you see of him, he's got his, his tiny arm is tucked in into his uh, pocket, but he just, his face is so expressive in this movie. 
And, you know, they, they usually show them in close up or at an odd angle. And that's that, that kind of shows you how much he cares for just this, this secondary character. Yeah. <laughs> because he's always shooting them in interesting ways. You say the same thing about the the jealous guy at the at the restaurant who mm-hmm. <laughs> Dominique Pignon, the great, another great face, yeah, just per, oh just yeah, kind of a, just kind of not a handsome guy, but a memorable guy, and, mm-hmm. and kind of perfectly <laughs> attuned to to uh, being a guy who would be just that jealous, <laughs> just that, just that and much. It t- French incel energy. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a while. I'm like, I know I've seen him. I know I've seen him in something else. So I looked him up on IMDb and it was, yeah, he was an alien resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> he was the guy in the wheelchair in alien resurrection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, strapped to uh, um, Ron Perlman's back. And just, he just has that energy that kind of, oh shit, here we go again. Uh, it makes you know, sense. Like, that was that was Janae's yeah. attempt at being an American director very, yeah. very briefly. <laughs> and when 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 he's in the um, towards the end of the movie, when he's in the cafe and they're they're talking about him and he knows they're talking about him. So he's taking notes about, <laughs> you know, female energy coming after me and all that. I was just like, yeah. oh, my God, this is perfect. <laughs> So great. And somehow all of these characters, all these various different characters get just enough time to make a full and complete impression. You don't need any oh, more yeah. or any, and you certainly don't want any less of them. Uh, even mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the woman whose husband uh, you know, left her, the her yeah. landlord, uh, that character gets just enough and Meredith. <laughs> screen time and makes a, makes a strong impression. And when she's very, very happy at the end, I was happy for her. Mm-hmm. Um, like that character doesn't need any more time than she got. It's just, it's perfect measurement. Can you imagine if this was an American film? <sighs> I mean, you never see her again. <laughs> right? Yeah. She'd, no. be, she'd be the annoying landlord that she couldn't wait to get away from. And it would be played by, um, Amelie would be played by Emily Deschanel. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, I guess depending on when they made it, maybe Alyssa Milano. I don't know. No, Natalie um, Portman. Oh, 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 God, yeah, Natalie Portman. <laughs> if it was 2001, it would have been Natalie Portman. <laughs> You're a funny little boy. <sighs> um, yeah, I just... I the Frenchness just... of this is also just another star of this film yeah. because it is. I don't think you can adapt Amelie. I don't think it will work. I think Americans are far too, we're far too cynical for this type of magical thinking. But mm-hmm. the French can pull off this kind of magical thinking. You know, and that's why. Okay, a movie like Midnight in Paris mm-hmm. could not could not have taken place. It couldn't have been Midnight in New York. No, it you wouldn't. I mean? Yeah, because like it doesn't feel as as historic. Even as New York has its own history, it's a much darker, more brutal history. Whereas Paris has a you know romantic history to it. It yes. has its ugly yeah. parts, but it, of course, but it has a more romantic history and a more intellectual history and a more magical history. Yeah, you know, like a more magical feeling. Everything you know, there's there's a reason there's a show called Emily in Paris and not Emily in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> 
you know, it's about the magic of the city and, you know, Paris has always been that in movies and pop culture and the world. So there, you know, this couldn't have taken place in any other country. And that he as a French director is aware of that and is able to capitalize on that is just another testament to his, his remarkable talent. Agreed. All I right. really wish I'd been able to see this on the big screen. It, yeah. Oh, it was, it was there ever so briefly at our, at our local art house. Hey, we got to do flick chart. Come on. Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. I promise. No, flick I, chart. We're going to yeah, do at least I, 10 minutes of flick chart. Okay. Uh, should we run something through it? I mean, we can, or we can just do straight ahead. <laughs> yeah, let's do straight ahead. Okay. How yeah, about uh, Wonder Woman or The World's End? Wonder Woman. Yeah, same. I like I like both those movies actually. I think World's End is pretty funny, but Wonder Woman's it's, awesome. It's the weakest of that trilogy mm. to me. Yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, Surfs Up or The Constant Gardener. Oh, Surf's Up. Is that the... Um, <laughs> Penguin surfing movie. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah, I'm going to go with Constant Gardener. Constant Gardener. <laughs> Although I did have a, a family member of mine was actually, for for reasons that will will never come to make sense to me, was spending spent a good seven minutes explaining to me why they love the Surf's Up franchise. I'll never... I don't understand it. I guess they're, they're a mom, so I guess it makes sense, but... <laughs> Oh Lord! <laughs> it sounds it sounds more like a a situation where you've just watched something so many times that you've just adapted it to your mind. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, which is why Elf was great in high school, and I have fond memories of it. I tried to watch the first season recently, and I'm like, wow. See, I'm thinking more of like a of a of a scenario like Malcolm McDowell with the eyes just plugged open, like you just have to accept what's in front of you, kind of forced. <laughs> That works too. <laughs> Nell or the sum of all fears. Ka uh, in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was insensitive. I'm gonna go sorry, for Nell yes. though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for sum of all fears. So the coin flip goes to sum of all fears. That's fine. All right. Grand Torino, that's not, or the other one's not a movie. Uh, Grand Torino with Clint Eastwood or Inception. Oh, this is where I go off on Inception. <laughs> Are you actually going to choose the, the Grandpa, Grandpa Eastwood movie? I'm going to choose Inception. Okay. But Christopher Nolan needs to stop sucking his own dick. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about it. It's good. It's good to have Bob represented on the podcast. Like that. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates. <laughs> yeah, Bob is very busy right now, but I'm going to side with him on some of these things. <laughs> you're just you're going to drag Christopher Nolan on his behalf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Three days of the Condor or Sleepless. Uh, Sleepless is what? Is that a... a Jamie Foxx cop movie from 2017. It is unwatchable. Uh, that's maybe why I've never watched it. I don't know. <laughs> Three Days of the Condor it is. 
<laughs> Sleepless is it's it's one of the it's a miserable fucking movie. I converted. Um, I saw Three Days of the Condor when I was a little kid with my dad, but yeah, I recently found it on DVD, so I converted it to my Voodoo, and I'm I, I go by it at like eleven thirty at night when I have to go to sleep, and I'm like, I don't want to start that because I'll stay up all night watching it. So it's been a long time since I watched it. Ah, mm. uh, my 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 internet is doing a tribute to Bob now, and uh, oh. <laughs> holding it's holding up flick chart at the moment. So let's see if we can get it <laughs> get it back here and get it get it going so we can do another uh, another matchup. Mm. Uh, it doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't look good right now. That we'll get another one out. Oh wait, well, maybe here it comes. Okay. Iron Eagle or Don John? Don John. Don John, yeah. I, I don't understand the people who like Iron Eagle. Uh, I recently saw a post of, of uh, Jordan, Jordan Joseph Gordon-Levitt saying that once he finally got his clout mm-hmm. and proved that he could, he could act, the first thing he did as a director was cast himself as a guy who jacks off too much. <laughs> and that... <laughs> torpedoed his career and i was like you know what you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> don don's a great movie though i love that it movie. is it really is <laughs> uh problem child 1990 or happy death day to you happy death day to you i love that fucking movie fucking great right is that movie great oh my god i so i saw the first one i bought i, I was working at best buy and i worked near the movies and it sat there and like stared me in the face for about a good solid two months. And then it was on sale for $12.99. I'm like, you know what? How bad could this movie be that I don't want to pay $13 to watch it? Mm -hmm. So I bought the DVD or the Blu-ray and I watched it three fucking times in two days. And then the second one was coming out and I was like, I'm there day one. It was actually day two because I went on a Saturday morning because I didn't work. Mm -hmm. And immediately... Like I'm not even kidding. I was so excited about the the way that they kind of retconned everything from the first one into the second one, and how it went from being a slasher to a sci-fi movie, mm-hmm. and it just jumped genres like that. I was like, I immediately went and did a, a drawing of it and made prints of it. That's cool. And now, and now I'm friends with Rob Mello, who played the baby. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, it's just that movie. Oh, I, I they keep Chris, talking about a third one. Yeah, Christopher really, Landon was set to take over the Scream franchise, mm-hmm. and I, lo- I would have loved to have seen what he did, what he did with it. But you know, it is what well, it I is. hope this. I hope I know he's working on something else with. Um, I I I'm convinced it's a Hallmark horror movie, um, <laughs> because of something one of his uh, friends said on a podcast recently. Yeah. But I want to see him do Happy Death Day three. Yeah, I'd love to see that because it's such a and Jessica Roth is so great in that. I'd like to see her be able to have another good movie because yeah, she really I, I don't want to see her do another rom com. No, 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 thank you. No '80s remakes either. Uh, Jumper or Heartbreakers? Oh, yeah. Neither of these are very good. Is Jumper the one with Hayden Christensen? Yes. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's the it's the third eye blind song jumper, <laughs> <laughs> and heartbreakers is Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer and... Love huge tits, right? <laughs> yes. Hmm. 
Jumper wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't great, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, it I, wasn't I would say it's bad. Well, you would, of course, you would. But you're a critic, and we hate critics. <laughs> um, I saw it, and I was I was entertained by it, but not you know I wasn't blown away by it. But mm-hmm. Heartbreakers has Sigourney Weaver, so we'll just do yeah, that. Heartbreakers. Johnny Dangerously or All of Me, two of 1984's memorable films. All of Me. I got to go Johnny Dangerously. I talk about Johnny Dangerously at least once a year with, with people because I, I I just recall the, the jokes. Like that that is such an that is a piece of nostalgia for me that I can't I can't ever lose. This just I guess there's a chase scene in Johnny Dangerously where they just keep changing the color of the car by pulling stick by pulling you know tape or whatever off of it. And it just that scene killed me as a child and it still gets me today. <laughs> and I didn't love all of me, I'll be honest. I didn't I didn't love Lily Tomlin and Steve Martin together. Well, you're an idiot. Um and I'm quitting the show and it's just gonna be from now on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all of me won the coin toss. So there you go. Oh yay! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the original, or I Love You, Man. Snow White. I Love You, Man. Come on, Paul Rudd, Jason Segel, terrific movie. Snow White. I Love You, Man wins the coin toss. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. If the if the Internet gods will give us one more here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. uh, Booksmart. uh, Tremendous film. Booksmart. Mm -hmm. Or uh, up against, let's see if it gets something good here. The Butterfly Effect. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Mary and Joseph. Well, we'll do one more because that one's pretty much, yeah, that was not a competition. Uh, (laughs) uh, Horrible Bosses or The African Queen. Oh, I like Horrible Bosses. Horrible Bosses is fine, but I mean, the African Queen, though. Yeah, I... Yeah. Oh, no, I'm thinking... I'm Sorry, I'm thinking... Um, I'm thinking Rooster Cogburn for some reason. I don't know. African <laughs> Queen, yeah. And I'm, I know, I'm thinking Catherine Hepburn, and, and I just listened to the book True Grit. Yeah. So then I went down a True Grit rabbit hole and realized that Rooster Cogburn was not just the adaptation of True Grit, but it was a sequel... And that was with Catherine Hepburn and John Wayne. So I was thinking that, yeah, definitely the African queen. Sorry. All right. Next week on the show, we'll be talking about Ordinary Angels with Hilary Swank and uh, Drive Away Dolls, which uh, directed by Ethan Cohen. Absolutely hysterical trailer. Everybody's in it. Pedro Pascal is in it. and uh, Matt Damon. and uh, I, I'm pretty I'm, sure I'm Pedro Pascal doesn't last past the first scene. I think he's the Drew Barrymore of this even movie. Even still, even still, I'm I'm all I'm all in on this one. The trailer's fantastic. Yeah, you. I will definitely be talking about that. You might be talking about uh, Ordinary Angels on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have to read, be choosy this weekend. Read my review. That's all I'll say. Okay. Read the review. It's up on our Facebook page already. I, I, I have a busy work weekend, so I, I might have to be picky and choosy. So, so um, what classic should go with either of these movies? Oh, um, 